starting there today, again, we'll be looking at a few verses today, but we will be harboring right around John chapter 6 and 7 in the book of John mostly today. We want to uh, continue as the Lord's uh, graciously led me to continue in my thoughts what I, well, I say that, that's not right how I should say that. The Lord has continued to give me to think on these things that we've been looking at the last few weeks uh, on why we need sovereign grace. Uh, we've looked over the course of, I don't know how many weeks now, four or five, something in four weeks, something like that, uh, on why we need sovereign grace. Why do we preach sovereign grace? And like I said at the very beginning of this uh, uh, series, I guess, you want to call it, um, a lot of people wonder why we call ourselves sovereign grace, why we boast about sovereign grace all the time, why we make a big deal about it and everything, and as we've hopefully seen as we've gone through God's word on all these different points, is that without sovereign grace, salvation is absolutely impossible. Uh, if you remember, um, whenever the rich man came to Jesus and uh, or uh, the the rich young ruler come to Jesus and uh, basically, you know, said, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, keep, basically keep the commandments. And yeah, I said, all these things I've kept since my youth, which wasn't true. But anyway, Jesus said, then go and sell all the things that you have and come back and follow me. Now, was Jesus saying that if you do that, then you could be his disciple and get eternal life? No, what Jesus was stressing was is the fact that if I command you to do anything, you can't do it. And that very well showed Jesus, give him a command to go sell all that you have and come and follow me. Well, the guy didn't do it. Why? Because he loved his possessions. He loved the things that he had, and he went away sad, you know, because he didn't want to give away all those things. So he went away. And the disciples, Jesus then told the disciples, he said, you know, it's easier for a... uh, um, for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And he didn't mean that by rich, by have a lot of money in your wallet. He meant that someone who thinks that they can keep righteousness for themselves, that is rich in righteousness. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a person who has self-righteousness to enter into heaven. And that's basically because you continue to keep trying and you don't have any righteousness of your own. So Jesus was basically saying that and the disciples got that because as soon as Jesus said that, the disciples say, uh, then how can anybody be saved? You know, because that was their understanding was we have to maintain a righteousness. We have to keep Moses' law. We have to, we have to keep this law and uh, maintain this righteousness to be saved. And Jesus said that with man it's impossible but with God, it's possible. And so, <clears throat> the reason we need sovereign grace is because with man, it's impossible to perform any condition that would be acceptable to God. But for God, it's possible. For God, it is possible. He has purposed it. He has performed it. He is bringing it about. He has done everything. Uh, that is needed for salvation for his people. It is a finished work, and all his people uh, will receive that for which Christ died. 
And so um, the reason we preach sovereign grace, teach sovereign grace, hold to it, look at it as the gospel, as we, you know, we separate from others because of this. You know, if people doesn't believe this gospel, we don't fellowship with them because it's not the gospel that they're preaching. And so there is a dividing that this gospel brings. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Whenever you teach and preach the doctrines that I've given you, it's going to cause division among people. It's going to cause division among father and son, mother and daughter. It's going to cause a problem with people, and it's going to cause congregations to split. It's going to cause, and I'm not saying that that's good that congregations should always be splitting. But if it's over-correct gospel, over-correct doctrine, then it's needed. Even even Jesus, you know, said that heresies will come uh, that uh, uh, that are and that they're needful. That the uh, uh, that that is approving of the people of God. The people of God is going to believe truth and not the lie, and therefore there's going to be heresies or untruths that's going to come in. There's going to be schisms. That word heretic, actually, the heresy actually means division. It doesn't mean false doctrine necessarily. We always equate heresy with false doctrine. But heresy in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it means division. And Jesus said, you know, there's going to be division. Divisions are going to come. Because what I preach, what I give you, the only way, it's a narrow way. And because of that, there's going to be a lot of people that's not going to like that because they don't have the truth. And as Jesus was a great example, people came, he preached his truth, and they, they didn't believe him. They didn't like him. The, they, it made people mad. They wanted to pick up stones and stone him. Eventually, they put him on a cross, crucified him. Uh, so we see that sovereign grace is a dividing thing because it is the truth, and the only ones that are given to know this truth are God's people. Therefore, anybody else that doesn't, it's going to be an irritation to them. Another scripture in the Bible, uh, the Bible says that the gospel is a savor of life to some and a savor of death to others. It's a, it's a, to, to us, it's, it's beautiful. You know, to others, they're like, you mean to say that God chooses some to be saved and not others? And God loves some and doesn't love others. And Jesus died for some and not everybody. And, that God is predestined to everything and nobody has a choice and all like that. Well, I don't like that God. I don't like that. You know, I ain't never going to serve a God like that or something like that. That just shows that they've not been given life and given understanding of spiritual things. That kind of God isn't lovable to them because they're still at enmity with God. That's our nature, the nature of Adam. And it all goes back to it all goes back to the garden. It all goes back even before the garden. Remember, we talked about it last week or the week before last. Whenever we talked about the seed of Satan and the seed of uh, Christ, that the seed of Satan and and, and the devil uh, is a, the father of lies, and all of his children uh, believe lies. Uh, and uh, if you go back before creation, whenever Lucifer. Decided, hey, I'm going to make myself like God. I'm going to raise myself above God. Uh, he thought that he could be like God or be above God. And so that was his sin. That was the sin that was found in him. 
And then if you look at Adam, what was Adam tempted with? The same thing. Satan tempted Adam with the same thing. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of this thing because of this or that? He said, if you eat of this, you're going to be like God. And that, that's whenever Adam perked up. <laughs> yeah, you mean I could be like God? Well, okay. So they partook. And they ate because they could be like God. And that's been the that's been the sin of all time is self-righteousness. I can be like God. I can do the things of God. I can uh I can perform righteousness. I know righteousness. I can be righteous. And so um that sin has been put in all of us because we are of the same stock of Adam. Uh we are his children. Uh, in the flesh. Now, in the spirit, we are a totally different thing. We are completely and totally holy, righteous, if we are the children of God. And so Jesus made that distinction. He said, listen, you can't understand the truth because you're of your father, the devil. And you'll believe lies and think that they're true because you don't have truth in you. But my people, my sheep, they have truth in them. I am the truth. And I give them these understandings. I reveal these things to them. I give them understanding of that. And so people are going to be at enmity with that because they don't have truth in them. They can't know that. And that's kind of been the whole gist of this whole study is the fact that the reason we need sovereign grace is because there is an inability. Now, you'll often hear it called total depravity. We have total depravity. I prefer the term... Uh, total inability. Okay? Uh, because there are some people that doesn't act as depraved as other people. Okay? Some people act more moral than other people. But the fact remains is there is a total inability for spiritual things. Spiritual understanding. Spiritual uh, uh, worship. Spiritual repentance. Spiritual uh, faith. All those things are given by God by sovereign grace. And so that's why we need that. So that's the whole purpose of why we've been coming this way. And we've seen that there are a lot of things that we can't do. I mean, we don't come to God. I mean, we don't uh, uh, have the understanding of the things of God. We can't birth ourselves into the kingdom of God. Uh, just some of the highlights. We can't, the last week we looked at, we cannot, uh, we cannot produce repentance and faith without it being given to us. We found out last week that repentance and faith is by sovereign grace. God sovereignly gives repentance and faith. It's granted to us. It's a gift of God. Now, today I want to kind of continue, and it's actually a subset of what we looked at last week. Last week we looked at is that we cannot produce repentance and faith um, without sovereign grace. Today I want us to look at uh, a couple of words uh, that kind of is, is, is part of that, especially faith, uh, and that's come and believe. Without sovereign grace, we cannot come and we cannot believe. So look with me, if you would, at John chapter 6, and I'm going to read verse 35, and uh, then, we'll, then we'll pray. It says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never 
thirst. Father, we ask you now to be with us as we look into your word today. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for this word that you have given to us to reveal yourself uh, to your people. And Lord, we just ask now that you would be with us as we look into it, that your spirit might come and help us to understand it, that you might help me to preach it. Father, you are wonderful, you are mighty, you are sovereign, and Lord, without your graciousness, without your compassion, without your mercy, without your sovereign election, we would not be able to come and understand and to worship and to, and to even be redeemed by you, Lord. It is only because of your kindness, because of your love for us, that is everlasting, that we have been uh, numbered among the people of God. And Lord, we know that nothing that we do in this life, nothing that we can do in this flesh can please you, that nothing that we can do will ever merit salvation or be able to be conditioned enough to be accepted by you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would continue to humble us, that you would continue to teach us the gospel, that you would always give us faith to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. So I pray, Lord, that you would minister to your children today as they are here or whether they're listening or watching on live stream. Father, I pray that you would um, comfort them with the gospel today. And may you help me to minister that through preaching. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Jesus uh, said here that he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, a lot of people will take that, and they'll say, well, there you go. That's the invitation. That's the gospel invitation. Uh, you know, if you'll come to Jesus Christ, if you'll believe on Jesus Christ, uh, then uh, uh, if you'll uh, do those things, you'll never hunger, and you'll never thirst. And so... Obviously, then, since Jesus said that, to come to me and you'll never hunger, and believe on me and you'll never thirst, then that means that we can hunger and thirst after God. Therefore, man does choose God. He can come to God. And so they have this whole mindset that salvation is an invitation, or salvation is an offer. That God is offering salvation, and if you'll come, you won't be hungry anymore. If you'll Believe you won't be thirsty anymore. But brethren, this is a, a statement. It's not an invitation. The gospel is never an invitation. It's never an offer. God isn't inviting people. He has gifted salvation to people. He's given it to them. Jesus, Jesus uh, finished the work of salvation by his work on the cross. And in doing so... Everything that is required for salvation is given to the person. So there is nothing that we have to do for that. And so salvation isn't an invitation that we have to accept that invitation or we have to accept that offer or that gift before God gives it to us. God has given it to us. He's given it to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are made alive, we are given repentance, we are given faith, all these things we are given so that where before we did not want, we would not come, we would not believe, 
He has given that to us in the new birth so that we can come and can believe. We become hungry. We become thirsty. The ones who are hungry and the ones who are thirsty are the ones who God has given spiritual life to. The ones without spiritual life are not hungry and thirsty for the God of this Bible. They're not hungry and thirsty for the gospel of this Bible. They're hungry and thirsty for self-righteousness. That's why we have all these religions of the world today that you see people out there and they have a religious system on how to keep, how to be right with God or be accepted by God or to be kept in salvation by God by doing lots of works, by doing religious things, by keeping up all your commandments and things like that, following the rule book, okay? And so, for someone to be hungry and thirsty for the true bread, which Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and through this whole course, he he mentions that he is the true bread. That was actually in verse 32. He's the true bread from heaven. Anybody that's hungry for Christ, Anyone who's thirsty for Christ is hungry and thirsty because God has given them that appetite and thirst. It's not natural. And so this isn't an offer or an invitation for all those out there that are hungry and thirsty. That's why we say whenever we preach the gospel, we are preaching to the elect of God because only the elect of God are given hunger and thirst for this. That's why we say we're only preaching to the sheep because only the sheep will hear this voice. That's why we continually say that whenever we give the gospel call to people, whenever we give that declaration, that call of of what Christ has accomplished on their behalf, it's for them and them only. Now, do we know who they are? No, we don't. I don't know who the elect are, who the sheep of God are. I don't even, among the elect of God, I don't know who has already been given ears to hear and granted repentance and faith. I don't know that. And so we continue to declare the gospel. That's why we never say, say, you know, Jesus loves you and has a good plan for your life. We don't, we don't sing the song, you know, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and apply that to all mankind. Why? Because we don't know who Jesus loves. Jesus loves his people, but I don't know if that's true about this person. So whenever you make the the gospel something that is to every person, you know, we don't understand that. So the gospel is a declaration, not an offer or an invitation. Um, It's it's something that we declare, and we declare that indiscriminately. We declare that to everyone, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they're black, whether they're white, or they're green, or they're yellow. We declare that Christ has accomplished salvation. But the problem is, is everybody wants to make the gospel about accepting Jesus Christ or believing on Jesus that he died for you, and if you do that, then you'll get saved. We make it about some kind of a conditional thing. Therefore, it's an invitation. It has to be an invitation or an offer. But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is a declaration of the finished work, completed work, successful work of Jesus Christ. We would use the the big word is the efficacious work. Okay? The, the, The work of Jesus Christ was efficacious, meaning that 
it it was effectual. It had an effect. What Jesus did had an effect. There was a cause. God loved us. Christ redeemed us. The effect of that is that all for whom Christ died for receives the promises of God. We receive the salvation that he died for. That's why Jesus was named Jesus. He shall save his people from their sin. He isn't going to offer salvation from their sin or invite them to come out of sin and into righteousness. That's not what Jesus offered or, or did. It's a declaration. And so Jesus here, whenever he said, He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that thirsteth or believeth on me shall never uh, thirst. That uh, is no more an offer than when Jesus said, He that looketh upon a woman to lust hath committed, adul- hath committed adultery. God is not offering for you to commit adultery or to look on, look on a woman for lust. Okay? So there's no difference in that, what Jesus is saying here, and if Jesus would, was saying, you know, he that looketh upon a woman to lust hath committed adultery in his heart. That wasn't an offer. No one would even consider that to be an offer. No one would even consider that to be an invitation that Jesus was inviting people to lust. So why here, this is a statement. Jesus is making a statement. The statement is, is all those who come, they will not be hungry. All those who thirst won't be thirsty anymore. If you believe, you won't be thirsty anymore. It's a declaration. It's a statement of fact. Jesus is saying, what is going to happen? Say, well, boy, you're kind of pressing that point. Well, the reason I'm pressing that point is because if you take Scripture and you try to twist it to fit your theological understandings, your your uh, theological systems, your theologians that you read, your denominations that you're uh, trying to associate yourselves with, whenever you take the Scripture and twist it to that, you're arresting the Scriptures. You are changing the Word of God and the intent of what is being said here. The intent of Jesus here is not inviting anybody uh, to come and to and to drink, okay, to to eat the bread and to drink. He's not inviting them to do that. He is saying, all those who come, they are going to be taken care of. I am the substance because that is the discourse that Jesus is saying. He is the true bread from heaven, which cometh down from heaven and giveth life into the world. He is the sustenance. He is the food. He is what upholds. His people. He is their food, spiritual food. They feed upon Him. That's why Jesus, whenever uh, He instituted the Lord's Supper, He said, My body that's broken for you, take, eat. He was. What was He doing in the symbol form here? Not only was He representing that the fact that His broken body and shed blood for us is what saves us, but He was also saying, Listen, that that I'm going to do, my death, my resurrection... That is the food that you will feed off of. That is what will keep you spiritually sustained. Okay? Is that even a word? If it's not, write it down. It will be. <clears throat> Jesus is what we feed off of. Okay? We now I'm now let me just clear some things up. I'm not saying that there's some magical thing that the more we do this, the more spiritually we are built up. 
the person that is hungry and thirsty is hungry and thirsty for the things of God and what Christ has done. And we're always satisfied with that bread. Now, the reason I say that is because Jesus in this discourse made that comment that he is the bread um, that came down out of heaven and, and the people before that had made comments that, you know, hey, you know, we received the bread that came uh, from Moses. Okay? Matter of fact, turn back with me uh, in John chapter 6 and go back to verse 28 because I want to show you something here because I had a guy just not long ago tell me directly that the words come and believe are not synonymous, that Jesus does not use those words synonymous, and he does. Jesus uses the word come and believe. Matter of fact, in verse 35, he says, <coughs> He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. He's using those terms interchangeably to come and believe. So when Jesus says to come, he's talking about to believe. Right? But let's go back to verse uh, 28. It says, um, actually we can go back to verse 26. This is right after um, Jesus had walked on the water and then he says, and the people were following after him. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. He says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. See, he's going to give it to him. To okay? For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Okay, so he comes right out and, and tells them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Okay, they want to know... That's their self-righteousness coming out right there. Okay, well, what do we need to do? What, what's our part in all this? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe on Him. See, belief is the work of God. The fact that we believe is the work of God. We seen that last week. Repentance and faith is granted to us. It's given to us. It's, it's, it's gifted it's part of the new birth. And we don't birth ourselves. We learned that already either. We can't birth ourselves. The birthing, the new birth, is a sovereign act of the Spirit of God to come into us. We're not birthed by men's preaching or reading a book or reading a bi even the Bible. We're not birthed that way. We're birthed by the Spirit of God putting life in us. And then once that life is there... That life now responds to its habitat. The habitat of the spirit is spiritual things. Okay? Uh, it responds to spiritual stimulation. I guess, I, I don't know how to describe that, but it responds to the things of the spirit. The things of man are known by the man. By the flesh. We know things of the flesh. The spirit of man, we know the things of the spirit of man. But we can't know the things of the spirit of God unless the spirit reveals them to us. And so we have to be made spiritual to be a receptor of spiritual things. 
And so Jesus is saying here that for you to do the works of God is impossible. What I'm talking about here is belief. You cannot believe because that is a work of God. Only God can create belief in a person. And so he goes, this is the work of God that ye believe on his name. Then they said therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? So see, here again they say, well then show us a sign and we'll work that work out. Okay, but we have, you have to show us something to believe in. And see, there's where the difference is between what we believe and what some others believe is the fact that they say, there you go. Faith is something of taking from one object and placing it on another object. And so these people here are saying, okay, well show us something to believe in and we'll go to that and quit believing over here. Now, does that actually happen when we're born again? Yes. We turn from idols and we turn to God. We turn from self-righteousness and we turn to Christ-righteousness. That is what happens. But is it something that we can perform in ourselves? No. It isn't something that we can muster up. It isn't something that we can uh, 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 perform in this flesh. That's why Jesus said, this is the work of God that ye believe on him. They said, well, show us a sign and we'll believe on thee. And he and they say, our fathers did eat manna in the desert and it is written, he, and, the, and if you go back, they're referring to Moses, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. So it wasn't Moses that gave you that bread, but my Father giveth you. It, it was God who gave them that bread from heaven, that manna that rained out of out of the sky for 40 years that provided them food. It was God. And a funny thing, and I don't mean to get too far off track here, but a funny thing about that, those 40 years of eating manna, God, I mean, they didn't have to do nothing. They didn't have to go out and hunt. They didn't have to go trap something. They didn't have to go buy anything. God rained manna out of heaven for them to eat. Provided it for him every day. And he told him, he said, only take what you need for the day. Don't store anything up. If you store it up, it'll go, it's going to go bad. And they did. They stored it up, it went bad. God was teaching them to, to trust in him every day for what they need. Every day for what they need. It's going to rain every day. Food, so there is no reason to stock it up, store store it, stockpile it, because I'm going to give it to you. Everything that you need for food, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give it to you every day. Well, what happened? The people began to murmur because they got tired of that bread. They began to murmur. They said, "Man, we're. I'd rather go back to Egypt where there's leeks and the garlics." And, Let's go back. This right here, we're getting tired of eating this manna. God was providing that. Well, see, that shows us the flesh and the spirit. See, the spirit feeds on the manna from God all the time. 
And it's, it's the food that, that sustains it. But the flesh doesn't want the manna from God. The flesh wants something else. The flesh wants something of its own. Okay? It has a completely different taste. The taste buds of the flesh of the natural man have a different taste than the taste buds of the spiritual man. The spiritual man loves the manna of God. Now, of course, this is a type, it's a foreshadow of what Christ was going to be. And Christ even says it right here. He says, But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Okay? So Christ is saying, I am the spiritual food for my people. Okay? I'm the spiritual food. I'm enough. And just like the manna, the natural man gets tired of that. And that's how we are, don't we? Every now and then we slip back into thinking, you know, hey, I need to do something. I need to work harder. I need to be more religious. I need to get those laws out and start doing those laws. I need to be more spiritual. You know? And we begin to think that we have a righteousness that we can procure by activity. By doing something in this flesh. And we don't trust that Jesus is enough. That's the natural man. That spiritual man continues to feed every day off that manna. Off that true bread from heaven. And then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. See, the, the spiritual man comes to Christ... And finds fulfillment. Finds filling. He's full because of Christ. There's, he doesn't need anything more. I don't need to worry about laws and commandments and religious activities. I don't have to, I don't need those things because I see that Christ has done it all for me and said, this is yours. Rest in that. Jesus lived obedient to the law and I have fulfilled every command of God because Jesus did it on my behalf. Therefore, in Mike's account, perfectly obey. I've perfectly obeyed God. I didn't obey God, but Jesus did. And God said that's enough for him and his righteousness. That's enough for his justice that Jesus did it on my behalf and said, here, I give them my righteousness. And God said, that's good. I accept that. That's, that's what I was looking for. That's in, that's, that fulfills my justice. That satisfies my justice. That satisfies the law. It was kept. Jesus went and died for us because our sins had to be atoned for. And God said, that's it. I accept that on their behalf. That's why Jesus is called our surety. That's why he's our mediator. He is mediating between God and man. That's why he is our surety. He is the, he is the one who is going in our place. He's our representative, our substitute. So Jesus is substituting for us instead of us obeying and dying. Jesus obeyed and died. And Jesus is saying here, I am the bread of life that cometh down. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He's not looking out there 
That spiritual man is not looking out there for anything more. He realizes, as as the Bible says in, in Colossians, that we are complete in Him, lacking nothing. We don't lack anything. So that's why we are often called antinomians, that we believe that there is no law, that we don't have to keep the law and commandments, and we can just live as evil as we want to live, or as... That's not it. God is the one who constrains us. God is the one who gives us a mind that desires to live uh, 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 according to His Word. But brethren, those things are not keeping us from God. Those things are not keeping us from right standing with God, right relationship with God, a future with God. Those things are not even considered anymore in the aspect of our legal standing before God or our uh, fellowship with God. Jesus has paid the price for all of it. And so to come and to believe is not something that we can do on our own. Why? Because as we just seen in verse 29, this is the work of God. The work of God is to believe. So come and come and believe, or to come who are hungry and believe who are thirsty, is not an invitation or an offer because it cannot be offered and, and, and invited, whatever you want to call it, because it's a gift. It's something that God gives us. Now, with that being said, and that foundation being led, does that mesh with the rest of the gospel? Is that contradictory to what we hear out here? Well, it is contradictory to the gospel that we hear in, uh, in the popular Christianity, so to speak. Because they believe that it is a offer or, or some sort of a uh, uh, invitation. And they believe that man has a free will. They believe that he has the ability to choose. I've heard it said most of my life that God in his sovereignty, they, we believe that God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty he has given us the ability to choose. That's not what the Bible teaches. He has not given us the ability to choose. He has given us the ability to come. He's given us the ability to believe. That's what he's given us the ability to do. We did not have the ability to do any of those things. He has given us the ability to come and believe. That has to be done only, or that that, that is only done because God has given it to us. Not all men have that. Remember last week we read the passage that said not all men have faith? Um, 2 Thessalonians 3.2 uh, Not all men have faith. So if anybody comes and believes, it's because God has given that to them. Now, to make that even more solidified, Jesus goes on in verse 44 and says this, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, we've talked about these quite a bit over the years, right? These verses, very familiar verses to us. Again, we see this is an issue of ability, not invitation, not choosing. 
This is a this is an ability. This isn't even as I've mentioned before. I've often heard, and especially whenever I was on the other side, whenever I believed uh, uh, in free will and free choice and things like that, I would always say this. So God just drags us kicking and screaming and makes us saved, even though we don't want to be. Uh, and or Jesus is saying, well, what about all those people that want to come to Jesus? Jesus is saying, no, you can't come to me because you're not my sheep. See, their, their understanding's wrong. <clears throat> they're assuming, when they say that, they're assuming that there are people out there who want to come of their own. They're assuming that there are people out there that are seeking after God. But what does the Bible say? There's none who seeketh after God. Not even one. No man seeketh after God. No one does. Now, I'm going to take God's word over it. Then 50 billion people in the Southern Baptist or whatever denomination you want to put on there that is preaching that man can seek after God, that there's people out there that are looking for God. And then to say that, oh, they're wanting to come to God, but Jesus is saying no. Well, no, Jesus said right here that... <clears throat> All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and all that... Uh, well, matter of fact, he says... Uh, um, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. He says, if they come to me, I will not cast them out. But the issue is, is how do they come? They only come by sovereign grace. They only come because no man can come. So if they do come to Christ, they come because it is God who does the work. The work of God is that you believe on Him. To come to Christ is to believe on Christ. To believe on Christ is to be given belief, or granted belief, or gifted belief, enabled to believe, because no man can believe me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. So, brethren, the reason we need sovereign grace is because we cannot come. So all these people out here preaching invitations and, and, and offers of salvation and everything, no man can come unless God sovereignly gives them the grace to do so. The very thing that they think that they are doing by offering salvation and doing, only God can do that. Only God can draw somebody. Only God can give them faith. Their preaching is not causing that to happen. Their discipling is not causing that to happen. Their breaking the gospel down to the basis nuggets is not making it happen. Their little tracks that are quirky and cool and their witness wear and all their videos and TikToks and all whatever else that they want to make is not what is causing people to come to Jesus. What causes people to come to Jesus is sovereign grace. God puts a spiritual hunger where no spiritual hunger was. God puts a spiritual thirst where no spiritual thirst was. And whenever that person is given a hunger and a thirst, they find their satisfaction or their satiation in the bread that came down out of heaven, in Jesus they find, they find the relief for that hunger and thirst. They find the uh, satisfaction, as I said, 
not in self-righteousness. The more they continue in self-righteousness, once they've been given that hunger and thirst, they will continue to hunger and thirst if they continue in self-righteousness. Because they will continue to see, I'm not righteous, I'm not righteous, I'm not righteous, and righteousness is in Christ. They will never be satisfied by their own efforts. You'll say, well, I know people all the time that they're, you know, they're, they're happy with the way that the Lord is bringing them up in sanctification and they're becoming more and more holy and obeying more and more and sinning less and less, which is a bunch of hogwash. But they're saying, I know people that are now more holy than they was before and everything like that. Brethren, again, <laughs> it isn't holiness in degrees. We are not becoming holy in degrees. Holiness isn't measured in degrees of holiness. Holiness is measured in the standard, which is Christ. If it is not perfect holiness, then it's sin. There's no in-between. There's no, that's why I say progressive sanctification is, 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 is a, is a misnomer. It's a, it's a, it, it's false. Completely false. We do not gradually grow in holiness. Because the spiritual man that's in us is totally holy, created in righteousness and true holiness. The fleshly man who tries to be holy, who is trying to live this life of holiness, desiring, so to speak, he ain't desiring though, he's actually waging war against the spirit, but is trying to mimic holiness this flesh that tries to do things to please God, he's not gaining any day. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he's perishing. He continues to perish, but the inward man is renewed every day. Does that mean that it like sinks down and comes back up and it sinks down and comes back? No, the inward man, meaning it's renewed. It's always there. It's always fulfilled. It's always, it's always there. The inward man is always holy, always righteous, always uh, 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 spiritual. It can't be anything else. Matter of fact, the Bible says it cannot sin. So, <clears throat> coming and believing can only be done if God, in verse 44, draws him. Look at verse 65. Jesus reiterates it again. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except, there's only one exception, no man can come. You say, well, wait a minute, there are millions coming. If anybody comes, there's only one exception in why they came, how they came, except it were given unto him of my Father. If someone truly came comes to Jesus, it's because it was given to them, not because they chose it. Now, do they come willingly? Yes. But God made them willingly come. God made them willing in the day of His power. See, they were not willing. Jesus said, Ye are not willing. Ye always resist the Holy Spirit. He told Paul, you're kicking against the pricks. You're always, the flesh is always going to be anti-me. But he said, in the day of my power, 
My people become willing. Why? Because now they have life in them. And that life gives them the mind to come. The desire to come. And God is working in them to will and to do His good pleasure. So, the willing to come is true, but it's not your own human free will. It's God's divine work in you that causes you to come to Him. That's why we need sovereign grace. Because the human will does not come to God. And some people say, well, it's the nature, the controls, the blah, 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 blah. Listen, I don't believe that fully. There's part of that that's true. But everyone says, well, we're all willing. It's just that uh, that we have free will, but it, we're, we have the free will according to our nature. Listen, even in the spiritual man, I don't have a free will to do what I want to do. Because the spiritual nature that is in me is the Spirit of Christ. He's the one in control. It's His will. He works in me to will and to do. He's the one doing that work, not me. I don't have a free will within my my saved nature or my saved spirit, and then I have a free will according to my Adamic nature. Listen, in my Adamic nature, I can't do what I want to do. In that fleshly nature, God is in control of every bit of that. So that whole thing is we have a free will according to our nature. It'll do whatever our nature Dictate. Listen, we don't have any more free will to do anything on any level, whether it's spiritual or whether it's uh, 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 fleshly. We don't have any will to do any of that because God has predestined everything that's going to happen and both our flesh and our spirit and any works that's done in our spirit or our flesh is controlled by a sovereign God. If I... And restrained from sinning is because of God's sovereign grace. Why do we need sovereign grace? Because God keeps us from sinning. Why do I need sovereign grace? Because God works in me to will and to do His good pleasure. And therefore, I have repentance and I have faith. I have a change in mind about self-righteousness and I'm looking to Christ alone for salvation. Looking to Christ alone for my righteousness. Resting in the work of Christ and not in my work. I need that work done in me because I can't do that work. God does it in me. It's the work of God that you believe. See, That's why we need sovereign grace. But see, man has it turned backwards. They think that we have to keep up this faith, that we have this faith, and they talk much about how big our faith is, how strong our faith is, and what we can put our faith to work at, and all this kind of stuff. I can no more muster up faith to do anything unless God increases that faith, gives me that faith, works that faith in me. I can no more do that than anything. I have no control over my spiritual my spirituality or my fleshliness. God controls both those things. God is the one who is sovereign over all things. You say, well, that takes away man's responsibility. <clears throat> that takes away man's accountability. Who art thou, O man, to reply unto the God? Why hast thou made me this way? Ask the potter, right? To make the clay any way he chooses? To work that clay any way he desires to work that clay? To fashion it, refashion it, whatever he wants to do with it? 
to make it for whatever use He wants to make it? And is it not the right of the Creator of God to be able to do anything that He deems wise to do? That He desires to do? He says that He will do all of His pleasure. And the army of the heavens are in the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand. He's going to do whatever He wants to do. If He wants to make me experience this or that or whatever, He's going to do that. I thought we have to have responsibility and accountability. We are going to be accountable to God, but praise God for the people of God, responsibility and accountability was all wrapped up in our substitute. Jesus was responsible for us. Jesus was the one who was held accountable for us. Remember the, the story we talked about? Whenever Benjamin was called for by, by Joseph to be brought back to him, and his brother said, I will go, and if I do not bring him back, then his blood will be on my hand. He was account- Who was accountable for that brother being brought back to God? It was his surety. It, Jesus is the one who's accountable for us. You say, well, I thought the Bible says that we are all going to give an account before the judgment seat of God. We are. The account of the child of grace is going to be my substitute, is it all? Our surety is going to stand for us. I'm not even sure we're going to say he did it all. We're going to sing those praises, but when we go to give an account, there is a mediator between God and man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe the Lord. I can't be dogmatic on every aspect and how exactly it's going to happen, what it's going to look like. But I know one thing. If there is an account to be given for God's elect, Jesus Christ is going to stand before God as the mediator. And He's going to give the report of what He has done on their behalf. And there shall be no charge laid to God's elect. Whether it be in heaven or whether it be in earth, there is or under the earth, there is no charge to God's elect. So at the judgment seat of God is not God saying, okay, you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and I forgave all your sins, but you kept on sinning. Now what do you have to say about yourself? Why did you do that? Here's some rewards. Oh, no, here, let me take some rewards back. The reward is Jesus. He's our reward. He's our inheritance. Whenever we stand before God, the account of the elect will be what the Lord has done. Now those who were not the Lord's, the Bible says the books will be open. And they will be adjudged according to their needs. And every one, every one who is not the Lord's, every one will be found guilty because their works did not reach righteousness. They will give an account. They will be responsible. That's the breakdown in what Arminians believe, what we believe. Arminians believe that we are accountable and responsible before God by ourselves. We are accountable and responsible to God through a substitute. 
The substitute is the one who was accountable for me, responsible for me. The very word responsible, ability to respond. I don't have an ability to respond to God unless God gives me belief. I can't do that. And if I do that, then that was God in me. So how can I say, well, hey, I did my responsibility. No, God worked in you to willing to do His good pleasure. I can't boast about my believing. I can't boast about my coming. I can't boast about my faith. I can't boast about the knowledge that I might have of Christ Jesus and His gospel. I can't boast of anything. All I can do is boast of Christ. But see, it's turned backwards in modern Christianity today. They hold man to be accountable and responsible before God as if man has an ability to do anything so that God could say that was a good accountable accountability. That's good responsibility that you've done there. I give, I give you kids, we've given you kids responsibilities over the years, right? That I'd say, you need to do this, and then you do that, and then you are faithful if you do that, Right? Whether it's taking out the trash, feeding the dog, walking the dog, mowing the lawn, whatever it is, cleaning your room, whatever your responsibility is. What is that me doing? I am giving you something to do, and if you do that, then I'm pleased. If you do that, it's acceptable to me. If you do that, I'm happy with you. If you do that, you've done a good job. We pat you on the back and say, good job. Thank you. Whatever the case, we we acknowledge your upholding your responsibility. Now, is that gospel? That is not gospel. That is anti-gospel. That is me. Thank you, Mike, for accepting Jesus's offer of salvation. Thank you, Mike, for accepting and coming and thirsting and drawing and seeking and obeying. Thank you for doing all that stuff. I'll have room to boast. And I won't boast before the Lord because it ain't going to go nowhere. <clears throat> Jesus said, no man can come. It's a, it's a deal of ability. Look at John chapter 10, verse 26. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Ye believe not, because there is something that is the causal factor on why people weren't believing. They weren't his sheep. See, I used to preach when I believed in free will and free choice and all that stuff. I used to preach that if I believe, I become a sheep. I believe he is now a sheep. And then I believe that that story of Jesus leaving the 99 and going and looking for that one lost sheep is the Christian who is strayed away from God and is living back in sin and gone away from church or something like that. And Jesus goes out and gets him. No, 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 no. We were sheep from the very beginning. Jesus goes out and brings in his lost sheep to the fold. They were scattered. 
He brings them in. To the very last one. To the point where he will leave the 99 that he's already gathered to go get the very last one. He isn't going to say, well, I've got 99. It's alright that one, one gets away. Why? Because Jesus will not lose one. That's why he left the 99 to get the other because he covenanted that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Brother, I'm telling you, without sovereign grace, there is no hope of salvation for anyone. And to preach that salvation is something that we can do and accomplish by means, by conditions, by things that God is called, telling us that we're responsible to do. Are we responsible to believe? See, that's the very thing that we just read. Those men were thinking, hey, I'm responsible to do some works before God, so what must we do? What's our responsibility? So that we won't be held accountable. Jesus said, it's not your work. It's the work of God that you believe. It's not yours to believe. Do we believe? Is there an importance in faith and belief and repentance? Do we preach those? Absolutely. But brethren, we got to preach these things biblically. we got to preach them according to God's Word and not according to the philosophy of farewell religion. That just thinks everything is okay. Every man is good and every man can come to Christ and every man is loved and all this kumbaya gospel that we hear preached that everybody is just wonderful and that we shouldn't divide over all these things and that doctrine is just religion amplified. And <clears throat> Listen, if we don't hold our doctrine closely, we're preaching an untruth. We're talking wrong about Christ. If I was up here to say... You know what? It, while I know uh, that sovereign grace is the truth of the Bible, you know it's all right if you don't believe that. As long as you believe Jesus is your Savior, I'm lying about Jesus Christ. These people aren't believing nothing. It's all about: Do we honor the Lord Jesus? Is it all about the truth of who Jesus is? The truth of the gospel? The truth of salvation? We're to preach the truth, right? Am I not called to be a preacher of the truth? Are you not called to be a believer of the truth if you're a child of God? We are to stand in the truth. However, the truth will get you killed. I've heard that phrase before. The truth will get you killed. It definitely will get you kicked out of Facebook groups and kicked out of families and friendships and all kinds of stuff. But brethren, let God be true and every man a liar. <clears throat> Why do we need sovereign grace? Well, because we cannot come to Christ. We cannot believe. And lastly, because we cannot please God we cannot please God. Look, if you would, to Romans. I want to deal with this one briefly. One way over. Romans chapter eight. <clears throat> we need sovereign grace because, at the end of the day, there's nothing we do that can please God. Romans chapter eight. 
Look with me, if you would, starting at verse 5. It says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. That means those who are in the nature of Adam, the flesh, our flesh, we are going to mind the things of the flesh. No matter what you think they might be doing. If you're trying to do religious stuff, if you're doing that, the flesh is going to mind the things of the flesh. Okay? We think that always means doing evil things like committing murder, stealing, beating somebody up, committing adultery, pornography, um, uh, uh, LGBTQ, you know. We think that that is what everyone is talking about. No, minding the things of the flesh is minding anything that we do externally in this body that we try to perform for acceptance with God. That is minding the things of the flesh. The things of the flesh are things of the flesh. Now, are they going to partake in all those other things? Absolutely. But again, the sin is self-righteousness. And through self-righteousness, we sin against God. The sin is to think that we can be like God by building up a righteousness of our own in the flesh and not trusting in our substitute who provided the righteousness. That's the sin. All other sins is the transgression of the law, the transgression of God's law, stealing, killing, blah, 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 all those things. We do those things, but brethren, the works of the flesh are always going to be to try to be like God. It says... For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Then down in verse 8 it says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I cannot perform anything that is pleasing to God in this flesh. And that Now what is the flesh? That is who we are by nature. In Adam. So, because we are born from all the way down from Adam to where I am today, that nature that we receive as a child of Adam cannot please God. So, the thing that is put in us if we are the child of God is the Spirit of God. That's not this flesh being made right. That's not this flesh worked up or remade or or born again. This flesh is not born again or rejuvenated or brought back to a right standing. Whenever we are born from above and God puts His Spirit in us, that is a new creation. That's not us. That's the life of Christ that's put in us. Our life is the life of Christ. It's, we are in union with Him and His life is our life. I don't control that life. So to mind the things of the Spirit means that the Spirit is causing me to mind the things of the Spirit. Because I can't control the Spirit of God. We, we don't know that the Spirit of God isn't controlled by man. If the Spirit of God is in you, He's the one that's doing the work. He's the one that is doing all of it. 
I can't say, all right, start believing a little bit more, okay? I'm not believing quite as much as I'd like to. It can't say, start learning a little more about the gospel. When it doesn't say that stuff. It can't do that. The Spirit is opposite and outside of, away from the flesh. They're antithetical. That's why Romans 7 says they war against each other. The Spirit lusteth after the flesh, and the flesh after the Spirit. There is a war there. Because they're two separate things. This flesh, the Bible says, without that Spirit, Spirit withdrawn, Spirit even in us not working, everything is unpleasing to God. It's only what the Spirit does that is pleasing to God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we see that the only way that we can please God is by the works of the Spirit of God in us. We don't control that. I don't tell the Spirit when to work and when not to work. Or how to work. He is sovereign. That's sovereign grace. That's sovereign grace. The flesh, it can't do nothing. I can work all day long in that. I can do all the things that, that the nature and the flesh wants to do, although it's still governed by God, controlled by God. It's not a free will thing. But in my mind, in my perception, I'm choosing to do whatever I want. But ultimately, as the Bible says, man deviseth his ways, but it's the Lord who directs his steps. I'm devising all these things that I'm going to do or not do or how to do it, but it's God who's directing all the steps. And for the steps that I'm doing to be pleasing to God, or whatever I'm doing to be pleasing to God, it's the work of the Spirit in me. Not me. <clears throat> Why do we need sovereign grace? Because without sovereign grace, we cannot do anything that is pleasing to God. We need it for salvation. Without it, we will never come. We will never understand. We will never desire. We will never be able to be born from above. We will never be able to repent. We will never be able to trust, have faith, to rest in Christ. We will never be able to do the works of God, which is believe. We'll never be able to do the things that God has given for us on the spiritual side as far as loving God and loving our brethren. We're not going to be able to do that without sovereign grace. So brethren, sovereign grace isn't this big, bad old devil's doctrine that everybody puts it out to be. If you scan it on the internet and look, you'll see there are a lot of people that says that what we believe is the doctrine of demons. Because we make God out to be this big old author of sin and we make God to be this puppet master that we're all just robots or whatever and everything like that. But that's because they don't understand spiritual things. They don't see it from the perspective of depravity, of, of inability. See, if a, if a puppet doesn't have a puppet master, it doesn't move. It just lays, doesn't it? It's just dead whenever the puppet master picks up the strings and starts moving it then it starts to move right 
that puppet, if the puppet master would never pick it up and start moving them strings, that puppet, as far as it would know, it would never know it could walk, it could move its hands, it could move its feet, it could do anything. When did it know that it could move around? Whenever the puppet master picked it up and started moving its strings. I never knew I could believe or repent or, or trust or anything like that. So the Spirit gave me the ability to do that. I never, I never would have been able to do that. So, am I thankful for a puppet master? Absolutely I am. Am I thankful that I'm God's robot? Absolutely. Because if God would not have programmed me, I would not be who I am. If God would not have instilled my uh, mainframe, I would not be who I am. If God would not have given me spiritual life, I would never have come. I would never have thirsted. I would never have been given bread from heaven. I never would have believed. I never would have repented. I never would have um, uh, uh, had faith in Christ or rested in Him. I never would have done any of those things. I wouldn't have love for the brethren. I wouldn't have love for God. If God wouldn't have sovereignly given me grace and bore me from above. So, anybody got any questions? Once again, we are grateful for your sovereign grace. We're grateful for your control over all things, that your absolute predestination of all things is a comforting doctrine to us. Lord, not because it gives us an escape to do whatever we want and say that it's under your predestination, not because we can sin all that we want to sin and say you died for them, so... It doesn't matter. That's not the purpose for why we preach these truths. We preach these truths because you've revealed them in your scripture and because they are true. We preach these things because it gives all honor and glory to our Savior Christ. We preach these things, Father, because it debases man and any hope that he might have. Lord, we, we know that in this flesh we profit nothing. We know that we cannot please you. But yet, often we try and often we fall back into thinking that our flesh is working out something that you're going to accept. And Lord, even your children uh, need to be reminded of these things. That's why we continue to preach the gospel. That our minds might be rested upon Christ Jesus and what he has done as our substitute. And that satisfaction and uh, acceptance and uh, justice uh, has all been finished in Christ. And so, Lord, we are grateful for this gospel. We pray that those who have listened, those who have watched, those who might run across this at some other point in time, they might find comfort in these messages, whether it's from me or any other gospel preacher. Lord, we find, pray that you give them comfort. Uh, as we know that you've taught in your scripture that we will uh, find satisfaction, fulfillment uh, in the uh, preaching of the gospel and what Christ has done. That, that will be the thing that satisfies our hunger and our thirst. That is the thing that will give us rest and comfort and peace and joy 
So, Lord, we just are grateful for the gospel. We pray that wherever it is being preached today, Lord, that you would bless those people, bless those congregations. Lord, we pray that you would be with uh, our brethren here as they leave today, that you would keep them safe until the next time we meet. Lord, we pray that you would uh, draw your people to yourself. Uh, Lord, if they have yet to be given repentance and faith, we ask, Lord, that you would convert them, that they would come believing upon Christ, that they might be baptized, that they might be added to the membership of the church, uh, Lord, so that we might be able to uh, covenant together in uh, worshiping you and in the uh, furtherance of uh, preaching the gospel and the ministry of the gospel uh, here at this church. And Lord, we just ask that if there's any here in Joplin, Lord, that, that is yours, we pray, if it be your will, that you bring them our way. They might join along with us for encouragement, for worship. Uh, Father, not, not to prove how many numbers that we have. We don't care about those things. We care about uh, your people being fed and being uh, encouraged and loved and, and uh, a place for them to find shelter with those who are like faith and practice. And Lord, that they might be able to uh, serve you uh, among the people of God. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you've done and how you've kept this church now for all these years. No matter how small we might be, Lord, we know that you've promised to be with us where two or three are gathered in your name. And we ask, Lord, that you might build your church as you see fit, not as we desire, but as you see fit. And so, Lord, we just are grateful for what you have done, and we look forward to the days ahead as you will. And Lord, again, we thank you for Jesus Christ who has saved us from our sin and has been our substitute. And we look forward to the day that he comes again and that all things will be put down underneath his feet, that he might, uh, that he might be seen to be the ruling Savior that he already is, uh, and that uh, sin and death, Satan and all the wicked uh, will be cast into everlasting uh, darkness and fire, Lord, and that they might receive the just reward for all their works. And we never boast that we are different uh, because of anything in ourselves, but only because of the grace of God uh, will we be saved because, uh, from that. And so thank you again, and we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.